When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. The Governor's Arts Awards, the Mississippi Arts Commission's annual recognition of the state's artistic and cultural heritage, will honor five creative Mississippians for their significant contributions to the arts. February 16th at 7.30 p.m. on MPB Television. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, February 15th. I'm Michael Guidry in for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a formerly incarcerated woman with terminal cancer alleges Mississippi prison officials avoided providing her with proper and timely care because it would affect their bottom line. Then the state health officer and other health care professionals are at the Mississippi Capitol to share testimony on the state's numerous health challenges. Plus, a Jackson State University student shares his experience of performing during the Super Bowl. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi Department of Corrections and several third-party health care providers are being sued for not properly diagnosing a former inmate who has cancer. Additionally, the lawsuit claims inmates were tasked with handling chemicals, but not told about the risk those chemicals have of causing cancer. Attorney Joseph Wilson is with the national law firm Trial Lawyers, Trial Lawyers for Justice. He claims this lack of risk mitigation was caused by MDOC and health care providers being motivated by profits. This lawsuit that we had filed this morning is on behalf of one of those women who you are going to hear from later, and her name is Susie Balfour. But based on our investigation, we believe there are many more women just like Susie who were forced to mix these raw chemicals and who also, like Susie, unfortunately contracted cancer. This lawsuit describes how these MDOC contractors these for-profit companies who ultimately bore the responsibility for providing health care to these incarcerated human beings were financially incentivized to withhold necessary medical care and in some instances life-saving medical care. In Ms. Balfour's case, her cancer diagnosis was withheld from her for 10 years allowing this disease to progress from a stage one treatable prognosis all the way to a stage four terminal prognosis, unbeknownst to her. We believe as the lawsuit describes, Ms. Balfour's constitutional rights under the Eighth Amendment, which were there to protect her from cruel and unusual punishment, were egregiously violated 
by the MDOC and its contracted medical providers. And we have also alleged in this lawsuit that these medical providers committed egregious acts of medical malpractice under Mississippi state law. Also speaking on behalf of the plaintiffs is Pauline Rogers, co-founder and executive director of the organization Reaching an Education for Community Hope. During Susan's time, she and some of the other women and men would mix raw chemicals without any protective equipment to make cleaning materials. The chemicals they were given to mix were degreases, germicides, and even weed killer, Roundup a chemical known to cause cancer. Susie would use these chemicals up to three times a day to clean the prison, also without any protective equipment. In fact, the women were told that if they attempted to make their own protective equipment, they would be disciplined. This is unsafe and inhumane but they did it to these women anyway. 62-year-old Susie Annie Balfour spent more than half of her life in the state's correctional system. While still incarcerated in 2011, she noticed lumps in her breast tissue, but doctors did not do a biopsy, instead asking her to routinely come in for follow-ups. It wasn't until 2021, just days before her release, that doctors did do a biopsy and subsequently told Balfour she did have cancer and it has spread throughout her body. She shares her story with our Will Stribling. Well, I felt betrayed. And I just knew that they was hiding something from me, but I didn't know what. Because when you are at the mercy of them and you really don't have a control over you, the uh, decisions of your life and body. And I just felt like, well, my life is over. You know, I'm going to die. I mean, you know, uh, why couldn't they done something before it got too out of hand, you know, to get to that stage. And then they lied to me saying that it was a two when it, when I actually got out here, it was a four. So it really wasn't a whole lot that they could do because of what I already done had took place with it being all in my body. What was the process like for you, accepting the reality of your situation and then deciding, no, I'm not just going to lie down, I'm going to stand up and fight so that you know, I can help ensure this doesn't happen to somebody else. Well, I've been uh, one to to fight back. You just have to get the right people. You know, I've been reaching out ever since I got out to try to, you know, get someone to, you know, to help me to uh, be able to, you know, uh, help others and be advocate for them as well. Because I left uh, some people in there that I know real well, you know, that's dealing with the same situation. So that's just, that's regular, you know, someone dealing with some medical issue and trying to get care and just just getting denied or, or delayed for significant amounts of time. That's just the norm there? Yeah, just that's the norm with anything. A spokesperson for the Mississippi Department of Corrections said the agency would not comment on active litigation. 
Coming up, health officials are testifying at the legislature about how the state could bridge large gaps in health coverage. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you aren't near a radio, you can still listen to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. You can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone or listen online at mpbonline.org. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB Public Media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. One of the top metrics that can determine someone's health outcome in Mississippi is their zip code. That's according to state health officer Dr. Dan Edney. He and other healthcare professionals spoke yesterday before the Senate Public Health Committee about the state's large gaps in healthcare coverage. Dr. Edney tells our Will Stribling that one way to address that issue is through enhancing regional engagement. Well, it, it was an opportunity to testify to the multiple challenges with access to care throughout Mississippi, especially in rural areas, because the, the number one metric that determines your health care outcomes is your zip code. And so if you have Madison County zip code, you got a better shot at better outcomes. I'm 39180, which is Warren County. It drops off. And then you move up into Delta County zip codes, and it plummets. And, of course, social determinants of health are all very important, driven by poverty, transportation being a huge barrier to access, availability of physicians and other providers in rural Mississippi is a very big barrier. You can't have a clinic if you don't have a doctor to run it. And, uh, you know, education impacts Access, understanding that you need prenatal care, understanding that you need cancer screening at a certain age. That comes through education. As, uh, and then insurance. And uh, you know, the availability of insurance you know, for all Mississippians is extremely important. That, that gap continues to be quite wide. And that's and how do you think this, uh, this shift y'all are trying to make this regional approach to public health could help? address some of these disparities? Well, it allows us to focus more intently on the needs of the region. Uh, I think everybody, no surprise that the Delta has its own particular problems, resource challenges, and outcome challenges. And if I treat the Delta the same way I do the Gulf Coast, I'm not going to get very far. Southwest Mississippi is pretty close behind them. And basically, it's almost West Mississippi versus East Mississippi, and when you look look at outcomes and resource deployment. But, you know, northeast Mississippi, the hill area is unique. East Central, going all the way over to the Alabama line, has its own issues, the Pine Belt, and then the Gulf Coast. You know, so, and I look at all of them individually the same way I do patients. You know, I don't treat all patients. I don't treat all patients exactly the same. I, I meet them where they are. And I look at what their unique challenges are, and I, I try to give them what they need. You know, not just everybody gets the same dose of the same medicine every time. So in public health, it's the same thing. We're trying to give the folks in our regions what they need. 
And then on the insurance issue, like, what do you think that the state can do, the state leaders can do to help address this issue? Because I know you talked last week about requesting those salary increases because some of your employees can't even get on the health, the state health insurance plan. So it's, you know, just that if that, if it's so bad that people working in public health can't get insurance, then we know we're in not, not in a good place. Yeah, it's uh, when you are looking at state employees who are making thirty thousand or less who have a family. That the premium is over eight hundred dollars a month, you know, and that's just not doable. Uh, they're forced to participate in the retirement program, but they're not forced to take the insurance, and so many have to opt out. That every just about all the lower income folks take just the lowest amount they, they can get by with, which means big deductibles, which means difficulty with access to care. Because if you have a four thousand dollar deductible. You're not going to go to the doctor until you have to instead of going for screening. So, uh, you know, for every problem, there are solutions. There are a lot of solutions on the table right now. I know our elected leaders are looking at those solutions. There are solutions through the Affordable Care Act. There are solutions that we've not taken full advantage of through the Medicaid program. Uh, You know, we need to access our federal dollars, you know, every way that we can for the benefit of our folks. But like you've heard me preach, focus on the needs of the patient and everything else will take care of itself. And we've not been doing that. As we focus on the needs of lower income working class folks, whether it's in state government or outside state government, then we focus on their needs. The hospitals are taken care of, doctors and nurse practitioners and PAs are taken care of. The healthcare infrastructure is taken care of. Most importantly, though, our, our people are taken care of. Dr. Dan Edney is the state health officer of Mississippi. Coming up, Usher may have headlined the Super Bowl halftime show this year, but Jackson State's band stole the show. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you aren't near a radio, you can still listen to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. You can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone or listen online at mpbonline.org. Family owned. You know, I respect my dad a lot. I know it wasn't easy when he passed the baton to me, but in the end, he realized it was the best thing for the business to sometimes look at things from different color lenses. Family owned a legacy leadership podcast exploring family businesses who make up the backbone of the American economy. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. During the Super Bowl this past Sunday, Mississippians may have noticed a familiar sound during the halftime show, and we're not talking about Usher. That's the sonic boom of the South, the marching band at Jackson State University. Students were flown out to Las Vegas more than a week before the Super Bowl to prepare for the big game and had to keep everything secret to not spoil the surprise. Jalen Thornton is a junior at Jackson State and was one of the drum majors on the field that night. He shares a story of going across the country to perform at the iconic sporting event with our Kobe Vance. Well, first, I want to thank God for the opportunity presented to us and thank, you know, the band Usher and his team for, you know, allotting us that 
opportunity. We kind of prepared a little bit before we went down to Vegas. And once we got there, we were just kind of like on the move. Like one thing I learned, show business moves so fast, which is which is really good because normally the Sunny Boom, we move like pretty pasty as well. But it was just like a different speed. You know, we were in a different setting, in a different environment. and But we adjusted really, really well. And that's one thing I commend the band on and the, um, Dr. Little and all the other directors that was there to help us with that. What did y'all have to do to get ready? Well... They kind of sent our director, like, an idea of what they wanted or either, and they kind of conversed back and forth with that. And once we got there, the ideas kind of changed, and they added more, and, you know, we just adjusted to that, like, their wants and their needs, and, you know, we went with the flow. How many days did y'all have to prepare? Before we went, I went, we was there. Uh, Either or. Okay, so I I believe we practiced a week before we left, and once we got there, we had 10 days before what oh, led up days. to this? I, I, if I remember correctly, y'all did have a big show this past football season yes. where y'all were performing Usher. Uh, y'all's mm-hmm. show was themed around Usher. Right. Uh, did that play a role in being able to get this opportunity? Honestly, I really believe it did. I believe that's how it, like the whole thing came about. Well, it was already out that Usher was doing the Super Bowl, right? But we decided to do a, um, a performance for the... We had a Battle of the Bands, and we decided to do the show based off of Usher. And it was a really, really good show. And although I wasn't able to perform, I still had, like, little aspects. I was able to, like, create a couple of things with the drum majors, you know, just to be in it while not being in it. So that was really, really good. It was a really good show, and it really went up. A lot of people enjoyed it, and, yeah, I believe that kind of helped us with actually performing for the Super Bowl. What was y'all's reaction as students when y'all heard that y'all were going to be performing with Usher? Me, I was so excited. I was really excited because I actually want to be a performer when I graduate. Like, I want to be a professional dancer. I want to, like, entertain people. So having that um, opportunity presented to me as a student, like, currently and even not out of school yet, it was so good. And not just that. We didn't just perform for, like, a small event. Like, we performed for the Super Bowl. That's, like, one of the biggest stages you can do. So that was very, very, very exciting for me. And then it's Usher, like, to perform with an icon, like, that was very amazing. Now, I might be a little biased here being from Mississippi myself, but the sonic boom of the South is definitely one of the most iconic HBCU or even bands from colleges in all time. What was it like being able to add to that legacy to be able to say, okay, now we've taken it to the next level. We're performing at the Super Bowl with Usher. That was really great for me, especially being from Mississippi as well. I um, I came from Jim Hill. I went to Jim Hill right around the corner. So to come to Jackson State and be able to go to those heights and that peak to represent for my city and my school, that was really great. Were you able to tell your family about it beforehand? No, we actually wasn't able to tell anybody about any information. And it, was, it wasn't hard to keep a secret, but, of course, you were so anxious and wanting your parents, if anybody, to know. But, you know, you have to abide by rules, especially when it comes to, like, something so high-end. So I understood everything. What would be your advice to somebody that, you know, might be in band right now in high school or even middle school? Could they, do you think they could see themselves in your shoes someday? Definitely. I have a lot of high schoolers and even middle schoolers that text me about band and being a drum major. Of course, knowing that I am a drum major and have like a platform somewhat for promoting it on my YouTube and Instagram. And I always encourage people like go after what you want, like especially me. But I mean, especially like speaking off of experience, because I had 
a student teacher in middle school that told me I would never make it in high school band. And here I am leading a college band like Jackson State, Sonic Boom. So I always encourage people to go after what you want. Don't let nobody tell your story because God already has your story written out for you. All you have to do is live it. So... Of course, I definitely can see other people doing this. And if if this is really what you want, then you go out there and you do exactly what you want to do. And then on a more personal level, what do you think this can mean for yourself being able to say now that you've performed live at the Super Bowl? I feel with this, for me wanting to be like a performer and always being like a theater kid, this is like something like that gives me a little bit of experience. It gave me a little experience to get my feet wet and actually the industry of, you know, performing so this is really, really great, especially for what I want to do in life. So it's like it gave me that experience. It gave me that, that rush and that feeling. And it didn't really hit me until we actually started marching. And when Usher was like, they said I wouldn't make it. And, hey, mama, we did it. Like, that really hit me because I feel all of that. And it was really great. Again, uh, you just mentioned, like, being able to march onto the field. What was it like in the moment uh, being there and hearing Usher singing to y'all's music? Well... But we, you know, us as a Sonic Boom, we perform in front of many crowds. But this was like no other because it was so many people dancing, the lights and the production of the show. So it's like once we once we hit that like that the field, it was like in performance mode. It's like now it's not a, it's something bigger than yourself. It's something bigger than you know just the band. It's like we're doing this for the country, really, really. So it was like really like a rush, and I was living it every moment I could. I feel like this performance, and it went by so fast, faster than it did at practice. And I just because I feel like it's because I was in the moment, and we were in the moment. But it was really, really nice, and I don't regret none of it. And then lastly, just kind of winding it back all up, what do you think this performance means for HBCUs across America, showing young Black Americans that hey, y'all can do this. I feel that this shows that we have no limit. Like, we, we're we not, like, spaced in one specific genre. Like, we can do football games. We can do pep bands. We can do basketball games. We can do Super Bowl. We can do BT Awards. You know, we don't have to just do anything in the band world. We That shows that we have versatility. We can go outside of the band world and still be original. But, you know, add, you know step it up some, you know, be creative with it. Kaylin Thornton is a junior at Jackson State University and is one of the drum majors leading the sonic boom of the South. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.